Thank you, Sean. It's great to have you back in the room, mate. <laughs> so as you've known, my name is Scott. I'm on the leadership team here, one of the pastors. And Sean and Liz, it's great to have you back. We trust that God would have used your three months uh, sabbatical to refresh, to refocus, to reinvigorate and to re-envision you. And I'm sure all of us are looking forward over the next couple of weeks, months, to hearing what God has done. Um, but for today, welcome back. It's great to have you here. And with Sean and Liz back, it really does feel like the summer is drawing or has drawn to an end. <laughs> it, felt, it felt, it came out so much better when I was practicing that I didn't mean it like that. It's the fact that you've been away for the summer and now you're back and therefore, oh golly. The summer season's drawn to an end, even if the weather hasn't got used to that idea. Well, we're back to two meetings this morning. The kids are going off back to school this week if they're not back already. The countdown is on uh, to the universities opening their doors again. It really does feel like the summer season has gone. Um, for those of you who know, I've got three children. I've got Rachel, I've got Daniel, I've got Benjamin. Rachel goes into the first of her GCSE years this year, which is just like, man, when did that happen? And Daniel goes to secondary school. And I'm like, what? And my Ben's still in primary, so I'm kind of still all right there. He's in year four. And in a couple of these transitions that are going on, for even us in family tailor life, I know that I, as a parent, am feeling a bit anxious about how they're going to get on and how they're going to be received. The teachers amongst us, well, you're going to be going back to having your new classes this week. Yeah, thank you. Somebody's looking forward to that. Let's be real. Those of us who drive to work are getting ourselves back to the reality of longer commutes because of the school traffic. And in general, most of us here will be back to the business of life as it ramps up again as church programs restart, your offices refill, and your Zoom or Teams meeting return to the same volume that they were before the summer. We're going back to whatever it may be. We all hope that we've been rested by our one or two weeks break, if we've managed to have one. But we know that it's not long before the hazy summer days are just a memory that feel like a long time away assigned to history and we're back to whatever it may be. But we are going back to something. Maybe this is a moment where we look forward in anticipation about what lies ahead for the academic year. We are likely to want to start new things. We are likely to want to look for ways to shed some of the summer excesses or focus on ways to get that next promotion. Maybe even off the back of the last two weeks of preaching from Richard and Suja, if you've been here and heard it or have caught up with it, you may find yourself pursuing fresh spiritual life to tackle any hypocrisy, ignorance, negligence, arrogance or indignance that has seeped into our walks with Jesus. There's something about this time of year, much like the new year, which brings a fresh start or a new hope. As we go into these moments of transition, as we embark on the unknown course that lies ahead, regardless of our brilliant planning, as we go again in our relationship with our glorious triune God, there is only one place to start. Only one springboard. Only one person who makes sense of it all. Friends, we need to get back to Jesus. 
back to Jesus. Knowing again the reality of who Jesus is and rerouting ourselves there makes sense of so many other things. So we're going to remind ourselves today of the one we trust, the one we follow after. So that as we embark on this term or this year ahead of us, we are firmly rooted in the reality of who he is. And because we're rooted in who he is, we can try to emulate the attitude that he had when facing what he faced. So we're going to spend a bit of time in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Now I'm pretty sure for most of us in the room and online, this will be a very familiar passage. And here's a little warning. I'm not going to bring any new teaching through this. However, I felt God speak to me about looking again at the cornerstone of our lives and remembering our life is built on him and we get to emulate him. Not in his perfection, but in his attitude. And that's going to lead us into communion this morning. So I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to pray, then we're going to get to work. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exhorted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, as we come this morning at the beginning of a new term, we say we want to be focused on you. We want to be focused on your Son. And we want to be full of your Holy Spirit. So I pray now as I bring the simple words that you've bought for me to bring today. I pray that your spirit would be moving amongst us, that our eyes would be lifted again to the great Savior that we have, to the great Father that we have in heaven, and that we would go away from here encouraged and ready for all that lies ahead of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start with verse 6. We're going to finish in verse 5. I know that's a topsy-turvy way of doing things. Um, but it will become apparent as to why I'm doing it like that. So we're going to start in verse 6. And as we start in verse 6, we need to be clear, as the gospel is, first and foremost, that Jesus was and is God. I told you it's not revelatory this morning, it's reminder. He was and is God. Just like John tells us in his biography of Jesus, he was in the form of God, which we understand to be spirit. His very nature, his very being, was and is God. The first thing as we come back to Jesus is the fact that Jesus is eternal and the second person of the Trinity. Holy, set apart, uncreated, all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present, 
Jesus is different to us. Now, we may have been made in God's image, but we are at essence different. We are not God. We were created to worship and to look after the creation. But there was a moment when we decided as humans that that wasn't enough. So we ceased worship and we have damaged the planet ever since. That's why we've had two sermons on global warming over the summer. We rebelled. We made ourselves the center of the story. We wanted to be not just in the image of God, but to be gods of our own destinies and our own identities. This the Bible calls sin. Falling short of God's eternal glory, of his best for us, of his design for us. He designed us to be the pinnacle of his creation. We chose to make ourselves king of our own devastation. We need to remember that Jesus is completely different to us. He is God. But even as God, we read that he doesn't consider that equality, that lofty, righteous position was something to be grasped. He didn't say to his Father in heaven, Daddy, are you sure we got this right? They've made the mess. They need, to, they need to be responsible. They need to pay the price for it. Particularly us in the West here, we're so quick to point out our, our, our rights, aren't we? Our right to this or our right to that. You said this, so therefore do, we, we want to... We point out our rights. We quickly move to blame others. Some of that I understand, but in Jesus we see something completely different. He gives up his rights. He gives up his place. He doesn't consider equality something to be grasped. No, he comes. He comes as God, the uncreated one. He sits in a perfect place. And yet when the time comes, he comes. He doesn't grasp hold of it. This is Jesus, the one we're coming back to. Fully God, and yet willing to come. Fully God, and yet not pointing to his rights or looking to blame. He comes. This is Jesus. In verse 7, it reads, he makes himself Nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He exchanges riches for rags. When he walked the earth, he had no palace, he had no soldiers, he had no gold, silver, or purple robes. Jesus had a family carpentry business, then a traveling teaching ministry. Jesus' friends were fishermen and tax collectors, the uneducated and the undesirables. He had no money. He had just a tunic and a coat for everyday wear. Nothing about him said anything more than you are from the servant classes. And he comes in the likeness of a man. As we look to who Jesus is again, as we come back to him, 
We also see him as a, he is fully human. He is fully human. He isn't half and half like a demigod, like Hercules. Half man, half God. He's both fully God, it's his very nature and the essence of who he is, and he is fully man. And friends, I don't know about you, but we just cannot wrap our heads around that. Jesus lived, loved. He was born, he breathed, he wept, he laughed, he ate, he slept, he got anxious, he was calm. He turned over uh, tables in a temple. He drew in the sand. He knew what it felt like to be betrayed. Some of you know what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it felt like to be bereaved. He knew what it was to party, and he knew what it was to mourn. He knew what it was to be tempted in every way. Friends, Jesus was fully human. The uncreated one is born into the form of a baby, a created one. Into a culture that should know him, the Jewish culture, but they reject him. This is the Jesus we come back to today. As I look out, I know many of you know this stuff. At the beginning of this term, I feel God would remind us. This is who my son is. This is who you have received into your hearts. This is who you are trying to follow. This is who you are trying to emulate when you are following him in your workplaces, in your homes. We need to get back to him and the simplicity of who he is. On to verse 8. As if Jesus, the one who was and is God, hasn't humiliated himself enough by becoming a human being... We are now told that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we know that other religions really struggle with this bit, God cannot die. And yet in Christ we see he does. His humiliation in becoming human in the lower classes to a people that should have seen him but dismissed him is made complete as the very people who should have been following after him cry out for him to be crucified. Do you remember that moment? It's not Easter, I know, it's the end of summer. Do you remember that moment? Crucify him. Release Barabbas. See, they haven't liked his challenging of the cultural narrative. The way they've become religious, but without actually helping anyone except themselves. He upturns tables, he constantly attacks the ideas and ideals, he challenges their understanding of the status quo, so they decide to arrest him and have him tried as the lowest of the low. They bring him before Pilate. And the ultimate punishment is given to him, crucifixion. The cross was saved for the worst of offenders. Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. It was a slave's punishment, a murderer's murder. Jesus was put through the physical torture, beaten, flogged to within inches of his life, a flogging that often killed the person. 
He carried his cross out of the city, falling on his way, calling for Simon of Cyrene to have to then walk with him. He's stripped naked, stripped naked. He's laid down and his hands nailed and then his feet nailed to the cross. Most likely his shoulders were dislocated. The cross was then hauled up into position, maneuvered into place, causing his arms and his feet to tear against the nails that have been nailed in. As he hangs on the cross, he pulls himself up to, to get breath. Pulling again against the nails on his, in his wrists. Until eventually, through exhaustion and pain, he can no longer do it. And he offers his life back to his father. And he breathes his last through suffocation. Alongside the physical torture, we can only imagine the emotional torture of the mockery, the spitting, the jeering, the name-calling, the sheer hatred being shouted and communicated to him in various forms. Then, of course, the pain of three hours separation with the Father as he fully identifies with humankind as the sin of, the world, of the, all those who will believe in him is poured out on him and he is punished. He becomes sin for us. The one and only time in eternity, past, present or future where Jesus will know any separation from God the Father. And all because he has humbled himself in obedience. He came and he died so he could deal with the one problem we had, sin, separation from the Father. So we could see again the love of God. He would lay himself down in order that we can be raised back into relationship with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that lust and greed and envy and anger and hate and gossip and division and idolatry can all now be conquered in the name of Jesus. And the unified expression of humanity that the world so craves can actually be reflected somewhere. The church, his people. So heaven is reflected here on earth where people can see it. Church is not a place to be attended, but a people that Jesus obediently died for. That's great, isn't it? Friends, this is coming back to Jesus. All those things that you know, all those things that you could rattle off, coming and just sitting in the, in the, in the reality of them again this morning. Just to hear it. Just to let it go in again. From verse 9, we get the turn, don't we? Because we know that Jesus didn't stay dead. Yay! He is raised from the dead. Resurrected in new life with a new body. He was seen by many over a period of 40 days before he returned to the Father. And in this passage, we see that Jesus has been elevated to the place of highest honor. This is how God the Father sees his son. He's back with his Father in heaven. The place of highest honor. Jesus is the name above all other names. 
We don't just read that here, we read that in Ephesians as well. His name is above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Every tongue. This is who Jesus is. The risen, glorified, ascended Jesus. When he returns, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. There is going to be no confusion. There are going to be no other religions. There's going to be nothing else. It's Jesus. This is who he is. On that final day when he returns, all knees will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess him as Lord for Jesus followers. That's most of us in this room. It will be our choice to bow before him. And confess him as Lord. Because we have done that in this life. It will be our choice. We will be thrilled. Everything we'd hoped for has come to pass. Everything we kind of hoped is true. Even in those darkest moments. Especially in those darkest moments is true. In those surrender moments on a Sunday morning when we, we, we feel a bit, I don't know whether I want to surrender, but I'm going to because Sean has just reminded us that it's because of the love of God that we surrender. So I do it. Then we'll be like, yes, Jesus is here. Hallelujah. But for the others, they will bow and confess out of necessity. Recognizing that which they have denied. Bowing and, comp- and confessing out of compulsion to the grandeur of his glory rather than out of love in, his heart, uh, in their hearts. And friends, we want as few people in that category as possible, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's stunned silence in the room. I don't know whether you're all just thinking, yeah, we know this, Scott. Thanks a lot. As I, was re- as I was writing this and re-going over all of this stuff, I just again caught something of, of an amazement of Jesus. Of who he is. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes get frustrated with Jesus because he maybe doesn't answer a certain prayer or because he doesn't seem to back the plan for our lives as I think he probably should. Maybe even in our most questioning moments, can I really trust that this is true? Friends, yes, it's true. Of course we can trust him. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the lion of Judah, but the lamb that was slain. Our mighty fortress, our strong tower, our hope, our salvation, our brother, our lover, our Lord, our Savior. Just a few of the terms we can use. He's everything. Friends, this is Jesus. There's the song in my head go around. This is Jesus in his glory. King of heaven fighting for me. This is Jesus. Going back to school, going back to work, going back to the long commute. Hey, go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. 
we get to come back to him. At the beginning of a new term, through moments of change, we can come back to the one who is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. He is the firm foundation that we build our lives upon. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. If you're hoping in that promotion, in that relationship, in that moment that your kid's going to have at school, it's not going to suffice. It's not going to be sufficient. Only he will do. Amen? In coming back to Jesus, we can learn how to live like him. And this is where we briefly flick to verse 5. That we can have. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This uh, verse 5 comes off the back of the first four, voice, first four voice verses of verse chapter 2. Looking at unity and what it is to be unified. And he's saying, have this mind of Christ. Which is then displayed through 6 to 11. And in the mind of Christ we read in the ESV and others we read the attitude of Christ. Like even the character of Christ. Have something of him about you. We're not looking for you to be perfect, but Paul isn't saying that. He's saying, have the mind of Christ about you on this. And this is what it looks like. And so when we look through verses 6 to 11, and we're called to have the attitude, the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, we need to see what is Christ. What do we see in these verses? Well, Jesus knew who he was. He was clear. So I call us today, friends, be clear today that our identity, if we're following Jesus, is firmly found in him. Know who you are in Christ. All else is secondary. All other ways you can identify yourself are secondary. Whatever employment you're in, whatever position you have in a household, uh, child, are you a parent? I don't know. But what I do know is this, you are a child of the living God. And that is your primary identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. We can get hung up on all those other things because it's not enough. But being a child of God is enough. There is nothing that is above it. There is everything that is below it. Being in Christ is our primary identity. The place where we truly find ourselves. If you're struggling in this area, we are running freedom in Christ this term. Can I ask you to sign up? Can I say to you as boldly as I possibly can, if you're struggling with your identity in Christ, come along to freedom in Christ. It will help you in your identity in Christ. That's the life group for you this term. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus gave up his rights. Christians all over the world, even today, give up their right to life in order to follow Jesus. You know that, don't you? You're very aware of that, I'm sure. And so if that is the case, what rights do we need to let go of so other people can see Jesus in us? What, do you, what are the rights you need to give up in your workplace, in your home, in your family, whatever it looks like? What do you need to be considering? Jesus knew he was. He gives up his rights. Jesus was a servant to all. How will we work that out in our everyday lives? What does it mean for you to be a servant to others? So that you so they get to see something of Jesus in you. 
So we get to give up our rights and we get to be a servant to all. What does it look like for you? Jesus was humble. Here's a question for a lot of us in the West. Do you always have to be right? Do you always have to be right? What does it do in your heart, your soul, your stomach when, when someone opposes you, criticizes you? Do you always have to be right? Are you someone who's quite happy to push yourself forward? <laughs> Here I am, I think you need me. Humble does not mean that we don't challenge or we don't stand up for what we believe or we don't volunteer to do things. But there is an attitude and a way of doing that that isn't defensive or antagonistic. Friends, let's learn to listen, to ask questions and to help people connect their stories to his story. I've got so much work to do in this area. I've got so much work to do in this area. But I know in Jesus... I can grow as I follow his way. Let's not be quick to judge people, but let's introduce them to the judge. And just finally on this, Jesus was obedient. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God himself, was obedient to his Father. Just let that sit in you just for a moment. The one who was in very nature God chose to be obedient and we know obedience isn't a cool word like Sean said a bit earlier about surrender it can often be an offensive word we think of obedience we think of harshness think of punishment but actually obedience when it's in response to a loving father to a loving God to someone who has our very best at heart is actually a powerful empowering thing to do to be obedient to the one who says it's best this way okay you know best how much more should we be obedient to him if Jesus was obedient to the father you know an example of this it's good to read your bible in your threes on your own it's good to read your bible but James 1 is very clear be doers of the word not just hearers not just readers I can read the word, but am I being obedient to the word? Obedience will mean that we may well be unpopular. That our views will be opposed. But Jesus knew exactly the same. And ultimately that's what they killed him for. Friends, we're here today because ultimately Jesus conquered sin, death, and the devil. He rose again, and he is coming back in glory. This is Jesus as we come back to Jesus today. As we come out of a summer slumber, let's be those who have a solid understanding of the Jesus that we follow. As Paul encourages us, let's look to have the attitude of Christ as we look towards what is to come. As we look to the different transitions that may be ahead. As we look to arrest any hypocrisy or ignorance or negligence or arrogance or indignance, particularly in our walk with Jesus. And as we look to love and care for those around us. As I land this morning, what greater place is there to, but to land in the place of communion. As our eyes have been lifted, lifted again to Jesus, to come again to his table.
together as a community. There's no better place to land. The first time that this was done around the table with his disciples, this came off the back of in, uh, the, sorry, I'll come back to that in a moment. Could I have the band just come up and get ready? And if the welcome team can start getting the tables ready for communion. The first time communion was taken was around the table with his disciples. Came off the back of him humbling himself again and washing the disciples' feet. Jesus, in his humility and obedience, gave us this meal. He did say to them that they were to continue to take this communion in order to remember him until he returned. Now, because of this particular statement, we see that this is for those who actually believe in Jesus and are following after him. This is a moment where followers of Jesus remember that Jesus is coming again. If you're not yet following Jesus here today or online, then I'm guessing you do not need to remember that Jesus is coming back. So instead of taking the communion, I would encourage you to speak to God right now and ask him to show himself to you. God is seen through the person of Jesus and you can know him today.